Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Did you see why he shot him? No. Like I say, after he killed him, you know, he knew who his, who his friends were. And the dude never really come around me that much. Never really had much to say to me anymore. You know, because I had gotten fighting with him about it. Like I say, he never really is going to say nothing specific to me about it. When you get into fights, what do you mean you get into fights with him? Fist fights with the motherfucker. You know, everybody in town knew you did it. Do you have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of William Moore, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Last week, I told you that this case was riddled with rumors, from start to finish. But what I'm finding, as I get deeper and deeper into the weeds, is that a more accurate description of Bill's case is a game of telephone. Someone heard something from someone who heard it from someone else who heard that a particular person said something incriminating. I have thousands of pages of official documents at my fingertips and have yet to come across more than a handful that actually contain any sort of useful information. That's partly due to the fact that the files that have been turned over have been so heavily redacted that they are nearly completely useless. At times, I've been scrolling through police documents with dozens of entire pages redacted. Not a single word can be read. But luckily, that problem is being remedied. Tammy and Ray have actually filed a lawsuit regarding the over-redaction of the case file, and just a couple weeks ago, the matter was settled by a McLean County judge. The city of Bloomington has now been ordered to produce a properly redacted version of the case file. But we're not going to sit around and wait for those files. We still have a lot of work to do. In today's episode, I'm going to cover the available information regarding three early suspects into Bill's murder one of whom is a spitting image of Jerry Gutierrez's composite sketch. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. After Bill Little was murdered, both Jerry Gutierrez and Danny Martinez met with a police sketch artist to create a composite drawing of the man that they saw in the station that night. 
Not surprisingly, the two drawings look really nothing alike. Gutierrez described a man with sunken cheeks, a square chin, and a pronounced jawline and cheekbones. But the Martinez composite depicts a man with fuller cheeks, an oval-shaped face, and a rounder chin. Since Gutierrez stood just a couple of feet away from the man, and Martinez witnessed him exiting the station from a distance, in the dark, police decided to go with the Gutierrez composite. The photo was spread around by the local media and through flyers, and tips started coming in right away. One of the first tips was called into Crime Stoppers by an unknown woman. The report states, quote, Little girl sees composite in newspaper and says, quote, Why is my daddy's picture in the paper? End quote. The little girl's daddy was a guy by the name of Isaac Gaston, and he really is a dead ringer for Gutierrez's composite. There's a side-by-side of the two posted on our website. And Gaston's daughter wasn't the only person who thought Isaac was the person in the drawing. Multiple tips were called in once the composite went public. And even a Bloomington police officer questioned him when he ran into Gaston at another Clark station in town. The officer wrote in his report, quote, I was checking Clark gas station on Market and Madison when I observed a white male, approximately 5 foot 11 to 6 feet tall, with blonde hair and a mustache, approximately 165 to 170 pounds inside the station. His description matched the composite with the exception of the scar on his chin. His name was, this part is redacted, but from the context, lead numbers, and other reports, we know that the name is Isaac Gaston. He stated that he hangs out around the Clark Station frequently, and they know him in there. It may be nothing, but he resembles the composite enough for me to talk to him. One thing that all seven of the lead sheets on Gaston have in common is one word written at the bottom. Cleared. None of the reports really say how he was cleared. He had no alibi after 5.30 p.m., but he also didn't have a pierced ear or a scar, according to this report. Quote, On May 25th at approximately 7.30 a.m., contact was made with Isaac Gaston at his residence. Gaston is six foot one, 152 pounds, brown hair and blue eyes, with no pierced ear, no scar, and states that he has no access to a gun. On Easter Sunday, Gaston stated that at approximately 5 p.m., Becky Reynolds brought his daughter over to see him, and she stayed for about 10 minutes. After that, Gaston said he stated he could not remember if he stayed in or otherwise. Photo was taken, cleared, pending new information. Based on all these reports, it was Isaac Gaston's lack of an earring or scar that seems to have cleared him as a suspect. There are no other reports indicating that he ever established an alibi or gave any other information that should have dropped him off of the detective's radar. Gaston does have a pretty extensive criminal record, burglary, theft, assault with a deadly weapon, unlawful restraint, first-degree criminal sexual abuse, battery, resisting arrest, and so on. But no scar and no earring. So it couldn't be him. Cleared. Never mind the fact that Jamie Snow also has no scar and no pierced ears. Isaac Gaston became a suspect because he looked just like Gutierrez's composite. Other than that, there's nothing tying him to the crime at all. But how much weight should we really place onto the description of an eyewitness? We all know that eyewitness identification is considered to be the absolute weakest form of evidence, but let's face it, it's hard to get past such a specific description. Ask yourself this. 
What if a man's wife told police that her husband killed Bill, but the man looked nothing like the man Gutierrez described? Would you believe her, or would you write her tip off? Well, here's a chance for you to put that thought into practice. Let me introduce you to the Jeffs, Jeff Durbin and Jeff Miller. Police received a Crime Stoppers tip stating the following. Informant stated Durbin approached him after the murder and wanted informant to do something for Durbin. Informant refused. Durbin stated to informant that Durbin was involved in the little murder with one other suspect. Informant saw the second suspect but cannot give a description. So this person called Crime Stoppers to say that Jeff Durbin told him that he was involved in Bill's murder along with someone else. Now, add that to this report. On November 12, 1991, Detective Crow and Detective Harris went to the McLean County Jail and talked with Karen Miller. Miller stated that her husband, Jeff Miller, told her this past summer that he killed that kid at the Clark gas station. He told Karen that he shot him with a gun and that Jeff Durbin was with him in a getaway car. She said that they were married when Jeff told her, but they weren't married when he did it. They were just going together and living together. Crow asked Karen when the kid got killed, and she said that he got killed in March or August of last year. She went on to say that just recently, Jeff robbed the Clark Station on South Morris Avenue, and he had a blue mask on and a BB gun. He also robbed the mobile station on South Main Street and also robbed a motel. She stated that she was in a mental treatment center in Decatur, and Jeff called and told her he was in jail for the armed robbery of Clark on Morris and the mobile station and the motel. Karen stated that they had been married for seven months. At the end of the interview, Crow was advised that Karen's attorney, Eccles, was on the phone and wanted to talk. Crow talked to Eccles, who stated that he would rather not talk to Karen unless he was present and if we wanted to talk with her in the future, that we could contact him. Jeff Miller is five foot six and only weighs 125 pounds. He has dark brown curly hair and no scar on his chin. So there you have it. Someone called Crime Stoppers and reported that Jeff Durbin told him that he was involved in Bill's murder along with another person. And later, Jeff Miller's wife tells Detective Crow that Miller confessed to her and he is the person who shot Bill Little and that Jeff Durbin was his getaway driver. The two stories seem to corroborate each other. But then the police report ends with, Jeff Miller is 5'6 and only weighs 125 pounds, dark brown curly hair and no scar on his chin. He didn't fit Gutierrez or Martinez's description, and it appears that that was the end of that. Never mind Miller's extensive record or the fact that he was arrested months later for robbing yet another Clark station in town. He was actually arrested for a string of robberies in Bloomington in 1991. The Clark station, an Econo Lodge hotel, and a mobile gas station. In all cases, he would enter with a mask, hold the clerk at gunpoint, and demand cash. But evidently, in the early days of the investigation, no scar on the chin means you're not a killer. Cleared. Now let's talk about a guy named Maurice Johnson. He really doesn't match the descriptions. Maurice is African American. But check out this report dated April 17th of 1991, less than three weeks after the murder. On April 17, 1991, at approximately 2.45 p.m., contact was made with Amy Wilmoth at this location by Detective Ron Felt and Detective Thomas and was interviewed regarding any knowledge of the Bloomington Bus Center armed robbery and the Clark Oil Station homicide. 
Wilmoth was positive that she had a conversation with Rodney Harris, who was at the time her boyfriend, a little after 9 p.m. on Easter Sunday at 404.5 East Monroe in Rodney's bedroom. The conversation centered around Maurice Johnson's involvement in the Clark Oil Station homicide. Rodney Harris told Wilmoth that Maurice had just been to Harris's residence and left prior to Wilmoth's arrival. And Maurice had told Rodney that he had shot a guy. Rodney said he was not with Maurice, and he thought Maurice had gotten $30 from the incident. Wilmoth never saw a weapon nor heard anything else except that her sister, Julie Wilmoth, dates Maurice, and she was told by Maurice that the extra money he had on him at the time, which was an unknown amount, was given to him by his grandmother. So that was a follow-up interview. Detective Barkas interviewed Wilmoth the day before. The interview was short and sweet, and we have the transcript. Well, kind of. It reads like a transcript, but it's labeled as a typed written statement. Barkas, can you read and write the English language? Wilmoth, yes. Barkas, are you under the influence of alcohol and or drugs at this time? No. Has anyone, including myself, threatened you or promised you anything in return for your typed written statement? No. Are you giving me this typed written statement on your own free will? Yes. Barkas. On March 31, 1991, there was an armed robbery at the Clark Oil on East Empire Street. What, if anything, can you tell me about this incident which occurred around 8.16 p.m.? Amy Wilmoth. I was told by Rodney Harris that Maurice Johnson had killed a man at the gas station, and when I asked him which one, he said the Clark station on Linden and Empire. Barkas. How did Rodney Harris hear that Maurice is the one that robbed the Clark station? Wilmoth. Maurice told him. Barkas. Did Rodney tell you where Rodney was at when Maurice told him? No. Where were you when Rodney told you about the Clark gas station robbery? Wilmoth. Rodney's house. Barkas. What kind of tennis shoes does Maurice wear? Wilmoth. He has all kinds. Nike, Adidas, Converse, and that's probably it. Barkas. Have you ever seen Maurice wear anything other than tennis shoes? No. Do you know if Maurice is right or left-handed? He's right-handed. Do you know whose car he might have used? No, I have no idea. Did Rodney state why he shot the guy? No, and I did not want to know anything about it. About what time did you arrive at Rodney's? Probably around 9 p.m. How was Rodney when he was explaining to you about what Maurice said about shooting the guy at the Clark station? Wilmoth. He was like really freaked out and scared. Barkas. Do you believe that Rodney is telling you the truth? Wilmoth. Yeah. Barkas, did you tell anyone this information? Wilmoth, just my best friend Lisa. Barkas, anything else? Wilmoth, no. End of statement. This woman came forward to tell police that her boyfriend told her that on the night Bill was killed, Maurice Johnson confessed to him that he had shot and killed a man at the Clark Station on Linden and Empire. But he's black, not a tall white guy with a scar on his chin. So, cleared. (laughs) 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the life of me, I can't figure out how these investigators separated fact from fiction. Here, in just these three leads that I've covered today, we have one man who could have been the model for the composite drawing, and two others who were turned in by people who said that they confessed to the murder, one of whom was turned in by his own wife, all cleared because they didn't precisely match Gutierrez's composite. So how in the hell did the Bloomington Police Department ever make an arrest? They never did find a man with an earring and a scar on his chin. They arrested Jamie Snow because of statements like the one you're about to hear. This is a guy named Bill Jesse, who was interviewed in 1999. As you're about to hear, the new investigators on the case were desperate to get someone to tell them that Jamie confessed to Bill Little's murder. But what's amazing is the fact that Jamie doesn't have a scar on his chin. His ears have never been pierced, and he doesn't look anything like either of the two composite sketches. So, the police turn to hearsay. But if they're throwing out the eyewitness descriptions, then why on earth not circle back to the Jeffs or Maurice Johnson? I really wish I had the answer to that. Instead, they turned to jailhouse informants like Mr. Bill Jesse. There was a homicide that took place March 31st, 1999, 1991, excuse me, at the Clark Oil Station where a person by the name of Bill Little was shot. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, very good. Can you tell me what you remember of it? Well, the gas station got stuck up when the dude that killed Billy. Now, do you have information on who may have killed Bill Little? Well, like I say, it's no secret. Everybody around town knows that Jamie did it. I mean, the dude bragged about it a numerous amount of times. Now, Jamie who? Jamie Snow. Now, they know who did it. Are, are you related to Jamie Snow anyway? No way, huh? Do you know Jamie Snow? Well, sure, from around town. How long have you known Jamie Snow? Well, I couldn't tell you how long it's been years. Now, in reference to Jamie Snow, did he ever tell you anything about it? He never told me he did it, but, you know, he bragged around the bars that he'll never get caught for it, shit like that. Now, did you ever hear him brag about that? Well, sure, everybody in the bar did. It's no big secret. Now, when you talk about some bars, what bars do you recall that maybe this conversation might have taken place? Scuttlebutt, Windjammer. Now, if I was to say, can you give me three or four names off the top of your head that would have heard him say that same conversation, who could you say? Uh, 
people that would talk to you. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> well, that's kind of hard to name anybody that would probably talk to you and say that, you know, uh, Scott Rhodes. Uh, With Scott Rhodes, uh, can you tell us where last place you knew he, he was employed or where he lived or anything at body at all? I've known Scott since we what, 10, 15 years now. Where, uh, where we find Scott at? He works for MJE right now, I believe. Okay. I'm not sure where he's living now. Okay. Uh, the next person? Kind of hard for anybody that would talk to you. It doesn't even be someone you don't think would talk to us. I mean, most of the people that, that ran around with Jamie Snow was even around him was dealing dope and shit like that. So. Who do you think that wouldn't talk to us would know? Denny. Denny. Denny Hendricks. <laughs> hey, he probably, he might know. Uh, I don't know, it's kind of hard to think of the names right now, I'll tell you too. Let, let me ask you, you guys were, I take it, were at the bar, drinking. Jamie was there, you were there, other people are around. And can you tell us in what Jamie said exactly, the best of your memory? <clears throat> What's that? Well, how, how many times well, do, you, do you think you heard him say it? Oh, I don't know. Thanks. This was a big topic there for a long time, you know. I mean, would you, do you think you, you heard it, him say out of his mouth five times, ten times, twenty-five, fifty times? At least five or ten times. Okay, and those five or ten times, they probably weren't all the same thing each time, but they were no. probably similar. Well, was, he never really said, I killed James Billy. Okay. You know, he never outright said nothing like that. Okay, what, did, what kind of things it did he say? It was just shit like... You know, I'm back from Florida. They can't fuck with me on it. They'll never be able to prove it. That type of thing. He never outright committed himself to it. Okay. Did he ever did he ever say what happened inside the gas station? No, he never got it specific like that I know of. Okay. Like I say, I was never really good friends with the guy. Okay. Did did, did Especially did, after this happened. After this happened, you know, the dude never even talked to me because he knew I was a good friend with the guy. Did you ever hear Jamie say that the guy got mouthy and I had to shoot him or no, he tried to attack me or why he, did you say why he shot him? No. Like I say, after he killed him, you know, he knew who his, who his friends were and the dude never really come around me that much. Never really had much to say to me anymore, you know, because I had gotten fights with him about it, you know. So like I say, he never really was going to say nothing specific to me about it. When you got into fights, what do you mean you got into fights with him? Fist fights with the motherfucker. You know, everybody in town knew you did it. Now, when you got in a fight with him over this, what did you accuse him of doing? Killing Billy. You know, did he ever say, no, I didn't do it? No, he never once said nothing like that. <laughs> He'd say shit like, fuck that punk and shit like that, you know? Now... He never once came out and said, I did or did not do it. But, but when you fought with him over this deal, he knew you guys were fighting over sure he did. because Bill Little's dead. Sure he did. And he never said, hey, look, I didn't shoot that kid. Huh. He never once said he did not do it. But he never once said he did it either. No, and I understand that. But, you know, it's, I can't see getting in a fight with somebody <laughs> over something I didn't do. No. 
Now, one of my main questions I had is, but you know, you, do you know of Bill Little? I knew him since he was a little kid. Okay. One of the things I've always wanted to know, could Bill Little have known Jamie Snow? Yeah, I, I have no doubt that Billy knew Jamie. I have no doubt that he knew him. Like I say, everybody in certain crowds and boogies and go to bars together and, you know, that type of shit. You know, and Billy was ran around with others. You know, and Jamie went to the same bars. Anybody that all goes to the same bar, you know everybody. Sure. Anybody that around Bloomington knows this. I have no doubt that he knew it. Were you personally in any bars when Billy Little was in that bar and Jamie Snow was in that bar? Do you remember any time that you three you might have been in the same bar together? I don't know. I can't say that. I don't know for sure. Okay. I mean, but I have no doubt that there was many times. Okay. You know. You drank at certain bars, yeah. and you, did Billy Little drink in those same bars? Yeah. Okay. And Jamie Snow drank in those same bars? Sure. Okay. So the odds are that they probably... 99 to 1, yes, that they were in the same bars many a times together. The scuttlebutt. Many a times. When Jamie was in, when you saw Jamie in the bars, did Jamie just drink? Did he play pool? Did he do anything? Yeah, he hung out with all of us. What, I mean, but would he, did he like playing pool? Sir. That was before the shooting, he hung out with you. Yeah. After the shooting, you guys were very good friends after that. Who, Jamie? Jamie yeah. Well, he didn't really hang out with me a lot. I mean, we tossed in the bar, how you doing, you know, blah da blah da da I never really cared for him too much, just out of his character, because he was a dirty fucker. But, you know, I never really had nothing against him, because he never really done nothing to me. But after he killed Billy, fuck, we fought many a times. You know, I had nothing to say to the motherfucker. Every time I'd pass him, I'd call him the dirty thing. We got in a fist fight once. You know, I told him, I said, you're a fucking punk. You killed, you killed Billy for no reason. Just fuck that punk. And that's when we got to fight. I remember that one specific time. Do you, do you remember when about that was? It was after he got back to Florida. I don't know what day or time or nothing like that. You don't know what year even? No, it was that long. Can I re reflect back? In 92, almost a year after Billy was shot, okay, some detectives talked to you. A detective, um, Crow, talked to you. Would it have been before that or would it have been after that? Well, it was after that. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it was after 92, it or was, after March of 92. This was after he got back. Florida, California, wherever he went. Because he took off for a year or two. You know. Now, when he came back from Florida or California, wherever he was at, do you know if he went to jail then? Hell no. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of people that got into it with him about it. I wasn't the only one. Who else got into it with, that, with him? Just um, from... Uh, word of mouth, you know, many of people in the bars shined him on and didn't want nothing to do with him, that type of thing, you know. I mean, it was obvious to go in the bar, you know, he'd come in the bar and nobody would even talk to the dude, except for the low lives, you know, that didn't care. Mm -hmm. You know, people that moved building didn't, you know, didn't want nothing to do with the guy no more. Is there anyone, or two, or three people that you know? know or heard Jamie say he did it or, or can 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. The 1999 investigators had their sights set on Jamie Snow, and they weren't about to let up. Jamie was a suspect back in 91, but the lead detective at the time, Detective Crow, didn't seem all that interested in Jamie. The whole case just baffles me. When I got Jamie on the phone this June, I asked him how he ever got mixed up in this case in the first place. What made you a suspect to begin with? Well... I think part of it was, I, I make no bones about the fact that, you know, I seemed to be a juvenile delinquent until I was about 25. You know, I I was in and out of trouble. I ran around with the wrong people. I put myself in the wrong positions. I got in a lot of trouble, so I made it easy for them to, whenever something happened, I was on their short list of, of uh, people to, to look at. And... I had been implicated in another armed robbery that had happened shortly before. And I, and I really believe, I mean, I, I think that that was, was a big piece of what, what had them looking, looking at me. But when you look through the discovery materials, they weren't really looking at me. They thought the other guy that, that eventually pled guilty to the robbery, they believed he was, he was good for it. And then they found out that he was in, uh, in jail the night that the, the homicide happened and they switched gears. And look, I, I honestly believe that there are a number of detectives that were in the Bloomington Police Department at the time that did not believe I did it. Mm-hmm. I believe that Charlie Crow, who was the lead investigator on the case, I don't believe that Charlie Crow thought I did it. I think that they, you know, he was a good, really, he was an honest cop. He was, a, he was an honest investigator. And I think that they didn't arrest me until he retired. And six months later, they had me in jail. Do you know if he's still around or if he's still alive? Yeah, Charlie is still around. Uh, I've got his address. I send him a Christmas card every year. <laughs> it's now time to shift our investigation towards Jamie Snow. Before we can begin to figure out who actually killed Bill Little we have to determine whether or not the right person is already sitting in prison for the murder. We're going to begin our investigation into Jamie Snow next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. 
All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Our Season 7 logo was created by me, with assistance from Zach Weaver and Shane Yoder. All of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com, or you can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at TruthJusticePod, and my personal Twitter handle is at BobRuffTruth. And you can even follow Mike at MBussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at TruthJusticePod. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been than justice. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 